We did a lot of sightseeing in England during Eliot's recent year in Oxford. We were most often drawn to the countryside, to gardens, to ruined abbeys and the great cathedrals. And one thing we came to count on, no matter how many harrowing hours, I was always the driver, no matter how many harrowing hours it might take driving on what seemed to be the wrong side of the road, navigating backward through giant traffic circles, barreling down twisting one-lane roads while oncoming traffic came suddenly screaming into sight, and we were the ones screaming, always. No matter how much tension or stress we carried, there was invariably a hush, a settling of the heart, when we finally arrived to enter the cool, dim, quiet interior of a cavernous medieval cathedral. Well, sure, it's quiet, you say. There are signs at the entry requesting silence. But, but this sort of quiet is really something more than the absence of sound or the absence of talking. It's the silence evoked by a sense of awe. The vaulted ceilings, the daring vision and magnificent stonework, the vivid witness of stained glass, and the haunting presence of a thousand years of prayer. The stress, insecurities, and anxieties of life melted like wax before a flame. We would feel at peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. I wanted to bottle the feeling and bring it home with me. I took lots of pictures and hunted souvenirs that would remind me of that deep quiet, the peace of such places. But in retrospect, I couldn't have been more wrong. A blog entry by David Henson helped me understand what I had experienced wasn't, in fact, peace. It was tranquility. And tranquility isn't bad, he writes. We need it. In fact, in a world wrapped up in busyness and anxiety, disciplined tranquility and stillness is essential to the healthy spiritual life. But tranquility isn't the same thing as peace. We often equate the two, buying into the comfortable notion that peace comes from calm and stillness. For example, when we exchange the peace on Sunday, we say, peace be with you. And if I were to guess, we might frequently understand that moment as a wish for tranquility and calm for one another, a hope for respite, a prayer for the churn and stress of life to slow down. And I certainly do wish that for you and for myself. But that misunderstands the exchange of the peace of Christ. It isn't in the liturgy to bestow tranquility in the midst of worship, but to symbolize the restoration of community, essential for worship and service. In sharing the peace of Christ, we acknowledge that we have forgiven one another as we've been forgiven, and that we are now reconciled to do the work of peace by creating just, beloved community on earth as it is in heaven. Peace isn't a call to retreat. It's a commission. 
It isn't an invitation to quiet stillness. It's ascending forth into the world. It's not the cessation of violence, but the creation of justice. I think that the false equivalency of peace and tranquility often colors the way we hear Jesus' own practice of retreat and Sabbath. In this week's Gospel text, Jesus gathers his disciples along the water's edge and calls them away to a deserted place to be by themselves and to rest. They didn't go away seeking peace and quiet, as we like to think they did. They were just seeking quiet. But their plans were foiled. Their search for quiet was interrupted by the demands for peace. They had wanted tranquility, but there was peace to be made. And so they made it by healing, by teaching, by feeding the hungry, and by creating a community of sacrificial generosity and miraculous provision. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace isn't the quiet stillness of cathedrals. It is the sweat and the work of the church. Peace is standing beside the overlooked, impoverished neighbor with disabilities as she bears public witness to the plight of others. The sound of peace is the clanging of the dishwasher in the church kitchen after community meals on Mondays and Wednesdays, or the rustling of backpacks loaded with school supplies to be given away. Peace is what I witnessed two Sundays ago at General Convention. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, preaching love with a contagious passion as he led a thousand of us in noonday prayers for justice in a suffocating heat outside the Hutto Detention Center in Taylor, Texas. And peace is the response of the 540 refugee women locked inside that place, many of whom had been separated from their children at the border weeks and months prior, who clamored around these narrow slits of, 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 of fortress-like windows to watch until the last busload of us had been driven away. Women who certainly knew no tranquility in that moment but who, we later learned, had wept at the sight of us with the knowledge that they were not alone, that they were not forgotten. The making of a human bond forged in a spirit of compassion with an insistence on justice, that is the peace of Christ. With that in mind, we might want to give thought to just how radical it is to exchange the peace, to say to one another, as we will in just a few moments, peace be with you. When we say those words, they will not be the spiritual equivalent of have a nice day. We will be igniting a peace that becomes a fueling passion for the week ahead. Peace can be a burden that interrupts needed rest, as it does in today's gospel. It can act like a surgeon's scalpel among families and communities. 
or strengthen us to bear up under tragic circumstances. It can be the reassurance that no matter how violent, how oppressive, and how bloody the world, God and God's people are called to seek peace, to work for peace in the world, and not only to seek tranquility. So as your neighbor offers you the peace of Christ, you might want to pause and take a deep breath before responding, and also with you. Soak it up. Share it extravagantly and pass it along because a bit later we're going to end worship, as we always do, with the call to go back out in peace to love and serve Christ in the world. Blessed are the peacemakers. The cool, dim, quiet English cathedrals provided many wonderful moments of tranquility. They were holy, beautiful, and gratifying. And sometimes they were even peaceful. Such as the time we walked into Canterbury Cathedral, the mother church of our Anglican communion, and looked up to find an art installation spanning nearly the entire width of the enormous nave. Suspended from that vaulted ceiling, like individual crystals in a chandelier, were hundreds of t-shirts, shoes, and pants, and hats. These were clothes that had been cast off by refugees wading ashore on the island of Lesbos and in Calais after weeks and even months of perilous journeys at sea. The clothes were now suspended in animated postures as, as if exploding from the center. A compelling image of the cataclysmic fragmentation of the lives that had once inhabited them. The countless women, children, and men now stranded in detention centers, hung between loss and hope, suspended between a past to which they cannot return and a future toward which they are unable to move. The swirl of garnets, garments over our head was a call to remember our common humanity, the humanity that clothes us all. It was a call like the one that interrupted Jesus and his friends when they hoped for a few hours of quiet. A call when the time comes to step away from our resting places, to leave our worship and our quiet cathedrals to do the work that Jesus has entrusted to us. There, beneath that heart-wrenching display hanging above the soaring vault of Canterbury, their tranquility faded and peace prevailed. Amen. <laughs>